You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 60 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts, and this is the show for September 2018. So it's another solo show uh, this month, uh, so just a little me talking to you. Um, last episode, I mentioned that I had I had a planned episode, which I then postponed until some hypothetical later date. Well, that hypothetical later date is now. So this is the show that I was thinking of doing a month ago, and I'm just going to do it now. And just to... Uh, I guess to let you know that I have an interview lined up that I'll be recording in the next few days, which is going to become next month's show. So if you're getting bored of having me always be the one doing the talky-talky, there'll be me talking to someone else next time. Anyway, so what is the topic? So I titled the show, What's Your Point of View? Which is a an intentionally ambiguous title, actually. Um, and it comes out of an intentionally ambiguous question, I think. So... Quite a while ago now, a few weeks ago at least, um, the uh, Shorter Time with Sid and Mac guys, Sid asked a very open-ended question, which is basically, what kind of photographer are you? And the guys interpreted it in a very literal way. I'm a landscape photographer, I'm a street shots photographer, whatever. Um, and Sid sort of tried to push them in other ways. But it's, it's such an open-ended topic that they, they went in all sorts of places and my brain went somewhere completely different to where the three guys on the show went. Um, and it sort of what initially was like, hmm, interesting thought, sort of ballooned in my head into something I think is actually a very interesting thought. And that that's sort of the subject of this entire episode. So when I say point of view... I don't mean, you know, do you put the camera high or low relative to your subject or, you know, do you stand close or do you stand far away? I don't mean it in a physical sense of your point of view. I mean, that is the thing in photography as well, your POV, your point of view. But no, I mean it in a much more subtle, um, arty-farty, but that's not quite the right word because it's actually even deeper than that on a more human level because the simple fact is that whether we know it or not whether we're conscious of it or not we're all photographing from a particular point of view and i guess my argument is that maybe it's worth taking some time so i guess what i'm hoping people get out of this episode is the inspiration to if they haven't already asked themselves the question what is my point of view to consider asking it and maybe you have multiple points of view depending on what project you're working on um what subject you're working with, what what you're doing, you know, the, the context. But whether we know it or not, whether we're aware of it or not, we have a point of view. It's it's impossible not to. And so if we have to have it, then there's probably, I would say, great value in developing as a photographer in figuring out what your point of view is. And once you sort of figure out what your point of view is, maybe it's something you want to actually actively take some sort of charge of. But uh, let me first uh, back up my statement that we all have a point of view, because that maybe people are arguing, I don't have a point of view, my photographs are completely neutral. Well, even if they were, which I don't believe they are, because you're human, but even if they were, that wouldn't be, that's still a point of view, because you can't not have a point of view. Okay, let me let me back that up instead of just repeating myself over and over again. So, it is impossible to take a photograph without making many many decisions. You effectively start with the universe 
And the first thing you have to do is decide what is and isn't worthy of having its picture taken by you. You can't photograph everything at all times. That is literally an infinity of infinities. So you're choosing. The moment you're choosing, your conscious or subconscious point of view has just kicked in. You've made a decision. That is, you know, your point of view is effectively the sum of all of your decisions and you have no choice but to decide what to photograph when. Okay, then you've decided what to photograph when. Then you're making all sorts of decisions about how. How do I frame this? How do I do the, the physical point of view? What, you know, do I, what do I choose to emphasize with my composition? What do I choose to de-emphasize with my composition? What do I choose to focus on, literally? What do I cho- how do I choose to light it? You know, what's going to be well exposed? What's going to be underexposed? What's going to be overexposed? How am I going to deal with all of this in post-processing? Am I going to crop it to perhaps accentuate one thing or hide another thing? Or, you know, how am I going to tweak the levels, tweak the adjustments? Am I going to leave it very, very flat? Am I going to make it very, very contrasting? What am I going to do with the color? Is there color? Is there no color? I mean, the amount of decisions are absolutely flabbergasting. Um, and even decisions not to decide. So I'll just let the camera do it. Well, that's a decision. So your photograph, at the end of the day, every single photograph is the result of these huge amounts of decisions you've made. And those decisions together, sort of like like weather makes the climate, those decisions make your point of view. Um, and you can't not have one. Because if you take pictures... All of those decisions have been made consciously, subconsciously, with great thought, with no thought at all. It doesn't matter. They've been made. So there absolutely positively is a point of view. So that's why it might be worthy of sort of thinking about, well, you know, what is my point of view? And I don't think point of view is, I don't think any of them are necessarily a negative. I don't think any of them are a negative thing, actually. But let's, let's, let's dig into that a little bit deeper. So some of the words I'm about to use to describe points of view that I've sort of thought exist might sound... Negative. They might sound judgmental. They might sound pejorative. They're not right. That those words that I'm going to use could be applied in that way, but that's not how I'm using them. That's not the message I'm trying to bring across. So, your point of view may be deeply skeptical. Your point of view may be deeply pessimistic. You right. Presented with an average streetscape, there is so much to choose from. And so your point of view is going to determine what it is you decide is and isn't included. So the same street probably has some nice architecture and some ugly architecture. That's a very subjective uh, thing to say, but bear with me. That same street probably has a, some you know beautiful flowers in someone's windowsill and some garbage on the street, some litter, some rubbish. That same street probably has a happy family um, with a parent taking great care of a kid and a homeless person. I mean, the, the amount of things. So if you are photographing a place from the point of view that you want to show people the good in the world, you have a sort of an optimistic, a romantic point of view well, then that's going to influence what you choose to point your camera at and what not. Or you may have a much more realistic, a much more critical, a much more cynical point of view on the world. And therefore you are going to say, well, well everyone is blindly walking by this poor homeless person who's, who, who's you know sitting here in the street with a sign. Everyone's just carrying on as if they're not there. I think that's disgraceful. I am going to highlight that fact. And so... 
these are not negative or positive. The the world needs all of these photographs, right? Every point of view is is needed. You know, we need people who can find the the beauty in the most ugly places, and we need people to remind us of the ugly things in our most beautiful places, and we need people to make visible to us the things that we've tuned out in our life because we we just for whatever reason we we see right through it, we see right past it, we see right over it. Now, all of these things are completely valid, and you might use negative sounding words like, um, you know, pessimistic or realistic or optimistic. Sorry, you might flip the other way and go into optimistic or romantic. Um, Your point of view may be to focus on the people. You may be interested in, in how the people are interacting with the scene. Or you might actually be interested in, well, what what does this place look like without the people? What does this place look like when there's no one around? What is this place on its own like? Or what are the people like? And the place is irrelevant. Or how do these people interact with this place? I mean, as I said, the amount of possibilities are just astonishingly, astonishingly vast. Now, if you're photographing for yourself, your point of view isn't... I was going to say it doesn't matter. That's that's not a, that's not a, the right thing to say, but it's not. They're all. Every point of view is valid if you're photographing for yourself. Every point of view is acceptable. Every point of view is okay. Every point of view, you know, just do your thing, right? You're photographing for you, so it's whatever you want to do is what matters. But you're not always that lucky. You don't always have the luxury of having every point of view being acceptable. And the, a real difficult one is journalistic photography. If you're not aware of your point of view as a journalistic photogra- photographer, well, that's that's dangerous, I would argue. You now have a social responsibility because what you choose to include in your frame and exclude from your frame is going to affect how people see the reality or how people interpret you know, the thing you're covering as a journalist. And that's a huge responsibility to put on someone's shoulders, to have resting on your shoulders. Do you choose to crop out the thing that implies that this person is a bad guy? Or do you choose to put something in that gives a false impression that this person has done something wrong? Right? You you've you are there in context. You you see much, much more than your photograph can capture. Because you know you, you're not seeing a split second in time. You're you're living it. You're experiencing it, and you're trying to, ideally speaking, if you're being a proper journalist, your job, your mission should be to capture that as truthfully as possible, so that people looking at your photo get the experience of the full context without having to have been there because you know no time machines, yada yada yada. And if you do that with a corrupt intent. That is spectacularly dangerous. We we have a word for that. It's called propaganda. Not a, you know, not a particularly positive word, but that that is what is going on. And it may seem benign, but I don't think it is if you're a journalistic photographer. So I think a journalistic photographer has no choice but to be constantly and continuously aware of their point of view and to be constantly and continuously keeping that in the forefront of their mind as they shoot. What decisions am I making? You know, is this a fair representation of the world around me here? Am I cherry picking? And you know, one facetious answer is, of course you are. You're taking a picture at a point in time of a thing, but you you know you see what I'm getting at. And then you know there is also 
a flip side of the journalistic coin, um, which is sort of the activist coin. So you can use photographs to attempt to bring about the social change or the change of any sort, frankly, not just social change. You can use photographs to bring about the change you desire. And at that point, you're not trying to be a journalist. You're trying to be the opposite of a journalistic photographer. You're not trying to capture the world with all its nuance. What you're trying to do is put across a point of view. You're trying to use photography to bolster an a specific argument, right? And if the... That's neither negative nor positive in and of itself, right? You can campaign for wonderful things and you can campaign for horrific and horrible things, right? So where is the line between propaganda and, you know, a Nobel Prize winning campaigning? Mm, frankly, it's judgment. It's it's basically whether people think what it is you're campaigning for is a good thing or a bad thing. Because what you're actually doing is the same. And you may find that uncomfortable, but well, actually, that's normal. That's not, it's not a bad thing, right? A hammer is an amazing tool for building homes for the homeless, and it is a murder weapon. It is a hammer. So you can use opinionated photography to fight child slavery, to fight human trafficking, or you can use it to commit genocide. It's the same tool. But I think you probably do need to be aware that, you know, that, that you have a point of view and you're using photography to put that across in a very selective way. So, again, it's it's not easy, these things. Um, a little bit more complicated than you think. And you know, so I was I was cycling along on my bike and I was thinking about all of these things and I was sort of wondering, well, I wonder what my point of view is. And I realized that I, my, my point of view in most of my photography is not focusing on the people very much. I'm not a people photographer. I'm a places and things photographer, you know, sort of reflecting on my body of work and reflecting on the decisions I have made when pointing my camera at the universe. I have come to the conclusion that subconsciously people are not what's on my radar when I'm taking photographs. It's places and things. And I am definitely a romantic photographer. If there is a piece of garbage in front of something I like, the garbage is getting cropped or cloned out. And I don't make apologies for that because that's the point of view I'm telling, right? So I I want to tell the story of the Irish landscape, it, you know, through a romantic prism. So that is my point of view. And I'm not, I don't think that's a negative or a positive thing. It just is what it is. And so I will choose my compositions to highlight the good, to highlight the beautiful, to highlight what is wonderful about this place. And I'm not presenting my photographs as, you know, an unbiased view of Ireland. No, it is not an unbiased view of Ireland. It is my view of Ireland. It is my view of the Maynooth locality. It is my view of the Royal Canal. My love of railways. I am communicating my love of railways. N- yeah. Not in any way, shape, size or form unbiased. I am preaching the love of all things permanent way. Right? It's It's not... It's not unbiased. It is a point of view. And yeah, I think romantic generally sums it up pretty well. I'm not... I don't do gritty, realistic very much, very often. It it tends to be seeking out the beauty in places where people... And not not the beauty in the ugly. That's, That's not sort of my thing. It's trying to find the beauty in the mundane, 
is, is much more my driving force, much more my point of view, I think. Um, I, you know, there was a, an Irish poet we studied in school, Patrick Kavanagh, who had some poems, you know, the beauty in every ordinary thing, or was it the wonder in every ordinary thing, was how he put it. But basically, that's somewhat my point of view, right? Irish landscapes are very, they're low on extremes, generally. So Ireland has mountains, but they are teeny, weeny, weeny, tiny mountains when compared to the Rockies or the Himalaya or really the Alps even, right? Even compared to Scotland, right? Ireland, you know, so Ireland has rivers, but there are no Mississippi. Ireland has fields, but they're tiny compared to the gigantic massive wheat fields you get in the US. It's... The Irish landscape is not a landscape of extremes. So if you come to Ireland from, if you look at the world from the point of view of the biggest, the brightest, the best, the, you know, superlative, you're probably going to miss, the. you're not going to see the Irish landscape as being spectacular because if you put it on a list of statistics, it doesn't do very well. But what I'm hoping my photographs convey is that there is immense beauty in that non-extremeness of the Irish landscape that is actually what makes it so wonderful so again it's my romantic point of view I'm seeking out the thing it is I'm trying to communicate you know and when I when I get sucked in so a lot of my photography projects I talked about last time it's about trying to share my enthusiasm for a subject so that's my point of view right I'm trying to teach so trying to get a picture of a specific wildflower. And then usually, I mean, you can sort of tell my point of view from reading the capture of the photograph. It's going to tell you all about the flower and, you know, when it flowers and what kind of habitat it likes, that kind of thing. Or if I'm taking pictures of butterflies, I'm trying to capture them in such a way as to highlight the difference between the male and the female or to show, you know, so it's, it's the point of view is to teach. The, the, the point of view is to illustrate. The point of view is to highlight. So again, you know, it's different again from the, the, sort of the more romantic. The point of view is to inspire, um, but again, it's it's again it's a point of view. So I, I think that's sort of what drives storytelling, teaching, romanticism. Frankly, are what drive. They're my points of view. They're they're what what's driving me to to make the decisions I make. Um, which is interesting because it's quite the contrast, I think, to what would drive a street photographer. I think, but I don't know because I'm just, I'm not a street photographer. It's not, it's not where my brain is. It's not where, where my sensibilities are. It's not where my skills are. It's not where my experience, my talent, it's just not my thing. And so I'm sort of projecting assumptions and I shouldn't do that, which is um, an interesting way for me to tease next month's planned show because I will be interviewing a street photographer. And I imagine he will have a very different point of view to my point of view. So... You know, I would encourage you to reflect, uh, you know, what is the point of view driving your photographs? I I doubt it's one. Um, It's probably many of them. And, you know, you can have some more fun by trying to figure out, well, what's the point of view of the photographers I love, right? You like other people's work. What's what's their point of view? What does it attract you to their photographs? Maybe it is their point of view that attracts you to their photographs. So as I say, it's an interesting tool to think about. And I was, you know, cycling on my bike thinking about these things. And then a different thought occurred to me. And this one, I'm not sure, uh, I would say this isn't perhaps as well thought out, but this one kind of scared me a little bit. So um, I'm going to share it with you for what it's worth. And then you can decide whether you think I'm barking mad or whether you think I have a point. So see what you think. So 
if we take... So my argument for why we have inevitably a point of view is that we absolutely have to make decisions. Every time we take a photograph, we take all of these millions of decisions. Well, maybe not millions, but all of these many decisions. But that's not the only time we take decisions. We also take decisions at a very critical next phase in the process. We choose what to share and what not to share. And we may choose to share nothing, but that in itself, is a very impactful decision too. Because the zeitgeist of our time is the sum of what we choose to share and what we choose not to share. It's like, okay, well, if we are living in horribly negative and toxic times, that's the sum of all of our decisions on what to share and what not to share. And, you know, so if we choose to share photographs that tell a particular story so if we choose to only share the photographs that show the worst in society if we choose to only share the things that make us angry the things that you know that they see if we choose to only share negative things then we are adding to the negativity of our times and if we choose to share only positive things you might say we're adding to sweeping all of our problems under the rug and again it's not a judgment here it's just a i just had a sort of a realization of uh uh-oh if I'm cranky about the world, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not in control of it, but I am part of it. So I'm a piece of weather adding into the climate. And right now it is my firm feeling the climate sucks. And I'm a part of that, right? I am deciding what photographs to share and what photographs not to share. And right now that decision has fallen very much in terms of not sharing at all. But then if my style is generally romantic, if my style is educational, if, you know, if I'm trying to teach, if I'm trying to inspire, and then I'm choosing not to share, oh, sugar. That means that on average, I'm making, I'm making the world a less romantic, less educational, less inspiring place. Oh, sugar. And maybe, I hope I'm wrong about this, but it's just, it sort of occurred to me that, you know, what we share is a spectacularly large responsibility. And now I'm scared of it. Um, sort of, I don't know, it was one of those thoughts that you have when you kind of go, ooh, ooh, that's a bit unsettling. And I sort of can't find the flow of my logic. It's like, well, but our zeitgeist is the sum of all of its parts. And whether I like it or not, I am part of it. And I can't opt out because the act of choosing not to share contributes every bit as much to the zeitgeist as the act of choosing to share. And then your second question is choosing what to share, which also contributes just as much. But choosing to share nothing is equally as impactful as choosing to share only pictures that show horrible things or only pictures that show things you love. You know, puppy dogs, homeless people or nothing. They're equally as impactful of decisions. And that's a bit scary because it means I don't get an opt out. I don't get to just be lazy and not think. I'd much rather be lazy and not think. It's much easier. As I say, it's a... Interesting thought. But anyway, don't 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 dwell too much on that one, maybe. Um instead, you know, I would suggest that there is real value in taking a moment to figure out what your point of view is as a photographer. And it may be something you're very conscious of, it may be something you spent a lot of time thinking about, and I may be preaching entirely to the choir. Or it may be something your point of view may be up to this point entirely subconscious. And so, you know, maybe there's value in it if you analyze it, think about it. Anyway, hopefully you found some value to this um, 
Yeah, this is kind of the inverse, really, isn't it, of my sort of more factual, you know, what is depth of field? Why it is the distance between the nearest thing in focus and the furthest thing in focus? You know, very factual, very by the book. This is not one of those podcasts. This this really is the inverse. And as I say, next one show, change of tune again. Uh, it's going to be a one-on-one interview. I've already teased it enough, I'll just say it. Um, Antonio Rosario from Switch to Manual, who is, I can safely say this, he is the most prolific and most skilled street photographer in my circle of acquaintances and friends. Um, and that is... Antonio's point of view is completely different to mine. Antonio's photography is all about the humans and my photography is utterly not about the humans at all. So cheese and chalk, therefore, I really hope, fascinating conversation. That's that's sort of my logic. Um, that, that's sort of why, having spent the last month sort of thinking about this show, that's sort of why I wanted to um, talk to Antonio uh, because we're, we're so different photographically completely and that's that's fascinating therefore i think there's a fun conversation to be had anyway um thank you to everyone who supports this show um i'm hoping you enjoyed this this episode um to be honest you're not going to find show notes at let's talk.ie because i don't have any this is actually this is a very special episode in the sense that even on my previous opinion pieces i've had bullet points written out in front of me that i have worked my way through this is the first show where I have turned on the microphone, sat down and emptied my brain into it. Um, so maybe now is actually an opportune time to send me some feedback uh, because maybe this is a terrible idea and maybe I shouldn't open my brain and dump it straight into the microphone ever again. Maybe, maybe this episode is not to be repeated or maybe you found this fascinating and enjoyable. Either way, let me know. You'll find the contact button at letstashtalk.ie which is a long way of getting to the fact that while you're over at letstashtalk.ie you also find some buttons under a heading support the show. Um, thank you very much to everyone who does support the show already, right? Literally, this show couldn't happen without your support. There are no advertisers. There are bills to be paid. I am in a... I don't want to go into detail, but I am at a stage in my life where podcasting either pays for itself or it doesn't happen because there is no disposable income to throw at it. So the reason this show exists is because you guys support it. And if the support goes away, the show goes away. And it's you know that that's just... That's just how it is, unfortunately. I wish it weren't true, but it is true. So those of you who every now and then push that PayPal button, you guys rock, right? Because there are there are things that need to be bought to make podcasting possible that don't happen on a schedule, that, that just sort of, you know, every now and then you need a new piece of software because something becomes obsolete or you need a new piece of hardware because something breaks and the PayPal money is my fund for those kind of expenses. And then the Patreon people, you guys are doing, you know, and I don't want to say more important, it's a different, vitally important role. The Patreon money, because it's regular and because it's predictable, the Patreon money is matched against the bills. So Patreon money comes in, gets poured into the bills, and we're at a stage now where the Patreon money and the bills pretty much, you know, to, to quite closely match each other, which is perfect. So the PayPal people are helping me to keep my hardware going, to keep my software going, and the Patreon people are helping me to keep the lights on. And I need both. And so you are, you know, I greatly appreciate everyone who has either pushed the PayPal button or who is a Patreon subscriber. I also greatly appreciate the people who have used the affiliate links for Hover.com, which is a domain registrar, and for DigitalOcean, who are hosting providers, because when you use those affiliate links, now you have to buy something, right? So those affiliate links are only for those of you who are geeky enough to need to register domains or to need virtual hosting. 
But when you use those affiliate links, it helps me literally to pay the bills because two of the bills for running this podcast are a bill from uh, Hover for domain registration and a bill from DigitalOcean for the server upon which my stuff sits. Um, and some of you have recently been using those affiliate links and it's been great because I've basically had two months of free server hosting uh, thanks to the affiliates, particularly actually the DigitalOcean affiliate link has been great. So that's so helpful. So thank you very much everyone who knows that. And then just a final thing to say, the only way a podcast survives is for people to share it with each other. So if you think the show is fun, tell someone about it. You know That is as valuable a piece of support as anything that has some sort of currency symbol appended to it, right? And I know all too well that not everyone can afford to contribute financially. And that's, that's reality. That's true. And I, no judgment whatsoever. But if you want to help, just... Tell someone you like the show. Tweet about the show. You know, tell a friend. It 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 really really helps. It's it's really important. So um, I'm going to stop rambling on now. As I say, no script this time. I'm not really used to talking to a microphone without without bullet points because then I just don't know when to stop. But I'm going to stop now. I'm going to say um, until next time. Happy stopping. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Looking for a podcast to get your geek on? Then listen to my favorite ladies podcast, The Three Geeky Ladies. Join Alyssa, Suze, and Vicky as they discuss tech products and other topics that caught their attention. The Three Geeky Ladies podcast on the MyMac Podcasting Network. 